0: This is episode number 66, the seventh and last installment of the Year in Review recording. In total, seven and a half hours of inspiring conversations with speakers from the business communities of the hosts. What was hot in 2021 and what are the expectations for 2022 were the two core topics that the hosts and the speakers were tackling. In this episode, we were talking with Martin Popilka, CEO of P1 Fuels and seni.ai, and Dennis Royo. We were talking about Formula One Fuels, hand sanitation, open source. And technology. I hope you enjoy this final episode of the year in review recording as much as I did. And you stay tuned for the other episodes that are coming in this year. Have a great 2022. Enjoy the show. We are coming to our next speaker. It's, uh, Matthias over to you. It's Martin Popilka.
1: Yes. Very happy to have uh, Martin Popilka in the show. Uh, tonight, uh, I'm not sure if he already joined us here in the, if he can promote him that he's, uh, this, uh, Martin, very good. So, um, yeah, i uh, introduced, uh, and invited Martin uh, to this show because I think he has an interesting story also to tell. And, um, especially, um, I know him since a year and I uh, was actually, um, very, um, uh, interested in, uh, what he, um, or like his, also his story is, is super interesting. Uh, because he's on the one hand um, CEO of a, a company that produces um, synthetic biofuels, So he has a, a background in a very uh, interesting field. And um, also he has an interesting story to tell in uh, regards to um, a story um, for um, um, COVID. So what um, uh, brought them to a, a pivot and a new um, venture that he wants to present. So hello and welcome, Martin, and i let you
2: do it. Hi, Matthias. Thank you for the invitation. Thank you guys for having me here. Um, Yeah, so our company uh, manufactures synthetic racing fuels um, that are completely fossil free. And as the name suggests, uh, the fuels are intended for World Racing Championships. And during the uh, COVID pandemic, obviously majority of the mass events were canceled or postponed. So we were facing quite a difficult time um, where basically all our revenues disappeared from one day to another, and um, yeah, one day I um, basically went to buy some hand sanitizer uh, in a local store in Berlin, where our company is based, and uh, I couldn't buy any, which um, which was uh, quite quite shocking, quite interesting, um, but basically because we use uh, second generation bioethanol in, uh, as a feedstock for the production of our of our synthetic fuels. Um, I decided to pivot one of our, um, production lines for racing fuel to manufacturing hand sanitizer. And, um, yeah, that's how we embarked on the journey to, uh, to start sanding. Um, and basically, yeah, it's been a quite, uh, quite a fun year to say the least with all the, uh, uh, COVID disruptions in the supply chain and basically everywhere you look. Um, but the initial idea of, of manufacturing hand sanitizer brought us to uh, yeah, to the, to the new project we, we call Sani. and we basically identified um, that the whole hand sanitization space is, is broken um, so when companies wanted to purchase hand sanitizer for their employees they either struggled to buy it or, or they had dispenses that were continuously empty or or basically the employees weren't using it as they should um, which obviously is, quite painful for um, employers during a a global pandemic where um, employee um, health is is one of the fundamental aspects that the companies are trying to tackle and navigate this uh, quite complex space. So we decided to to build our own uh, smart uh, dispenser, our own sanitizer, our own cartridge, and embarked on building a uh, hardware company. Um, I guess it, 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 it looked much easier you know in the beginning on the in the beginning of the plan and I guess you know everyone says that hardware is, is hard, which inherently it is and we learned the hard way but um, yeah it was it was quite more challenging um, during the during the you know, during this time when none of the components are basically available and you build you build your your dispenser with, with some, Uh, electronics that you cannot buy later and you you redesign it and then then you cannot buy the new ones again. And and then you build the case and and, then some parts are missing. So it was a, it was a very challenging year, but, um, fun nonetheless.
1: Uh, Martin, can you give a bit of, uh, details about the product? Because I guess the listeners don't know exactly about what's the, what's the innovative part of it. So is it a standard sanitizer or? what kind of extra features
2: does it have? Yeah, sure. So so first of all, we're not building specifically a hardware dispenser. We're building a um, a hand sanitization as a service subscription for for companies where basically companies um, sign up, subscribe, and pay per employee, and we take care of um, the entire hand sanitization um, topic for those companies. That means we, we deliver the dispensers, um, which are connected to the internet um, and to our cloud infrastructure, where we monitor the usage of the sanitizer based on you know, individual buildings, floors or on employee level and and these dispensers basically automatically reorder cartridges as they need them, which means the innovative thing here is is, is twofold. one, um, you know unlike standard uh, sanitizer dispensers, as you find everywhere nowadays, uh, they don't run out of sanitizer. so um We know when the sanitizer is running low and we dispatch the cartridge in time to make sure that that they're always online and always ready to serve um, their users. And second of all, we collect a lot of data um, about the sanitization trends of of the companies, um, which is is very important to actually know if if the employees within the workforce are sanitizing the way they are. Um, And on top of these two features, we basically built a gamification layer where we promote um, healthy hand hygiene within the company, so we target the individual employees who are perhaps not sanitizing, you know, as they should, and we try to motivate them so they so they so they do a better job. Um, and um, yeah, one more interesting thing about the product is that you know you might have noticed um, some of the news about Amazon um, during this year where employees in you know, the warehouses don't have time. Um, to wash their hands or to use the toilets and so on. So we built in a feature um, within our dispensers that allows um, employees to refill bottles. Um, so bottles, like personalized smart bottles that they can keep on their person and have access to sanitizer wherever they are, whether in a warehouse or commuting to work. And, and yeah.
1: So um can you explain a little bit how that uh, quantification um create like new opportunities are understood, like um, that there's a lot of data collected. Um, has there been any concerns also from, from people that this data might be used uh, in a complex way or like used differently than intended, experience some resistance in this regard?
2: Yeah, yeah, well, of course. So as I mentioned, we're based in Germany and um, yeah, Germans in particular are, are very uh, keen on, on, on data security and privacy. So um, we, we spent considerable amounts of resources in, in developing the product in a way that this data cannot be misused. Um, and obviously, you know, employees have um, the option of not participating. They don't have to share their name. And, and there are various features built into the product to, to maintain a very high level of privacy.
0: Ready to get started? Click the link in the show notes to get our free step-by-step guide to starting your podcast today.
1: Thanks. Very interesting. So, um, in a way, I wanted to also understand, like, um, is how can uh, can one um envision like how, how this looks? It's like a it's like a large um, device, or is it a rather small? Or like, how does this work? Can you briefly walk us through the?
2: Um, yeah, sure, sure. Well, you know, unfortunately, a lot of people think it's a water fountain. So, <laughs> um, as you see in, in the office, it's a very large product, actually. Um, and it's large because, uh, yeah, it refills bottles. Um, and in order to refill these small bottles for, for the employees to use, um, the machine has to have a fairly large package. So, so it's, it's, a, it's a fairly large um, uh, dispenser. Um, it, it looks great, it's, it's white, it's shiny um and and the most important thing is it's functional, you know, and I can't stress this enough like i I travel quite a lot, and you know I was flying over to San Francisco a couple of days ago, and you know on my journey from Berlin to San Francisco, I encountered i would say fifty hand sanitizer dispensers, and out of those fifty, maybe you know ten percent of them actually work and and that's the thing that's I think you know we're building a product that actually works, so when you place it somewhere. In a high foot traffic area, um, it will dispense sanitizer when when it should. and it won't be broken or or empty.
1: And um, do you already have clients uh, while you're testing this?
2: Yeah, we do. Um, we were very lucky um, to to onboard some very, very uh, I would say prestigious clients. Um, so we are working in um, with one uh, very large um, digital bank uh, based in Berlin. Um, that has been uh, very fundamental to our um, their product development. So they've been testing this our prototype unit from the very beginning um, with their uh, with their employees in uh, in the Berlin office. So apart from that, we also work with the FIA, which is the International Federation of Automobile Sport, um, where we, for example, uh, yesterday were um, providing sanitizer for the Formula One uh, prize giving ceremony in Paris. Um, also, our um, sanitizers and our um, dispensers are used at multiple world uh, racing championships where there's a lot of foot traffic, whether those are race drivers, mechanics or for visitors and um, and a few other quite interesting companies that um, have embarked on, yeah, the journey to to properly sanitize and keep their employees and partners safe. Very interesting. So what's
1: actually on the plan for you? For the next year
2: with this project,
1: where do you want to see the project? So, what's the next thing in your timeline?
2: Well, the next thing in our timeline is is really to uh, to, to scale the company. So, I think we've we've quite um, yeah we've we've validated the product market fit fairly quickly. Um, you know, it's it's kind of a no-brainer. It's it's a it's something that that you know, everyone needs and everyone uses. So, we're currently planning a uh, fundraising round. Um, early next year, uh, which would be geared at really uh, growing our sales, marketing, and tech
0: teams. I'm uh, I'm curious with one question. Sorry to interrupt, Matthias. Uh, uh, Martin, I just checked your LinkedIn profile uh, to get some information. And uh, do I do I interpret it right? You are running three companies at the same time. Well,
2: running is a bit of an overstatement, right. but 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 yeah, I, I I do try to do so. Um, so Sani, you know Sunny was uh, part of T1 um, up until this point. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've just formally started the, the spin-off process to facilitate a, a seed fundraising round. Um, and in the initial company in Euro Labs that I founded, co-founded um, my my very good friend years ago. Um, I'm now stepping down, actually, from an active role into advisory advisory
0: uh, board member role. How just ask, out of curiosity, how does it work? I mean, um, uh, being on the board of three companies, it must be pretty intense, isn't it?
2: It is. It is. But you know, um, I, I think it's one of those things that that keeps you switched on. And I must, I must honestly say that I have really. Benefited um, from from these different industries in, in many ways, um, especially for example for the Sunny project. A lot of the learnings that we've learned at Euro Labs with the uh, with our AI platform, we've implemented very early on into, into the Sunny product. Whether those are various predictions and data hygiene and, and, and whatever. So I think you know, in a way, it's uh, this kind of contextual switching is uh, quite quite beneficial. But, yeah, it is it is tiring at times, but it's, uh, it's definitely manageable.
0: What are your plans for 2022 with your companies?
2: Well, you know, I, I, we have a lot of plans, but but considering what the world has gone through in the past two years, and, and literally everything we have planned this year has been replanned multiple times, um, whether it was in the racing fuel company where we have replanned we the entire calendar um, I don't know, maybe ten times. These races keep on moving from country to country, from month to month. On the Sani project, we we designed the whole uh, electronics of the dispenser maybe five times. So I don't really dare to, to commit to a <laughs> to a plan for next year because uh, if you look at the if you look at what's going on now in New York and, and the spike in COVID cases globally uh, with this new variant, uh, I think uh, I think you know we need to remain agile. And uh, ready to to change um, and to pivot as need to be. Um, so I would not really, you know, apart from the fundamental belief of, of of being able to react quickly, I, I I wouldn't dare to comment on any specific plan at this point.
1: Uh, can you a little bit explain us also about the P one period? Because I guess you you were just um, explaining it briefly, um, but the listeners might not know so much about it. Because I was also excited what um, you guys are doing there. Uh, a bit explain how that came into being
2: and, and, and uh, contextualize it, please. Sure. So, so with P1, um, we are a company that is uh, yeah, promoting the use of fully fossil-free internal combustion engines. So you know, the whole world is on a race to decarbonize mobility, and there's a lot of talk about electrification, but not much talk about the fact that you know electric vehicles produce uh, emissions as well, right? So. The the CO two doesn't come out of the tailpipe of the car, but it comes out of the power plant. And and if you look at the uh, if you look at the European Union's uh, average uh, yeah percentage of renewable electricity, you will see it's very low. Um, and especially even some countries, if you recharge a Tesla from a fossil um, fuel a power grid. You're not really decarbonizing anything, right? You're just moving the source of emissions from one point to another. So, so the whole idea behind P1 is let's, you know, let's enable, let's really decarbonize um, the cars that are, that are on the roads today. And there's about 1.5 billion um, passenger cars with internal combustion engines um, that, that will not disappear in in the next 20 years. Um, If you look at the average age of of vehicle fleets around the world, um, it's very safe to assume that they will be here long after um, all of these uh, predictions by when we should electrify. It's just not going to happen. So what we do is we we make sure that um, that we're currently using uh, stress testing in, uh, in in global championships. So we work very closely with the FIA. And I'm proud to say that we supply, um, for the first time in the history of uh, automobile sport, we supply a FIA World Championship, the FIA World um, Rally Championship to be more specific. Um, with a completely fossil fuel, that means that this internal combustion engine is running a fuel that has not extracted any, uh, that has, does not have any oil in it or any carbon that's been extracted from the ground, which I think is uh, is, is, is the way that we have to yeah, look look to, and not overly focus on only electrification because you know the future mobility mix will be a combination of various proportion of technologies. It won't just be um, battery-powered vehicles. So
1: that's what we're doing at p one I'm just wondering like do you also have then, uh retail customers, so it's like a for uh, motorsports only because i was, was like, I'm, I'm not a driver myself, I don't even have the private license, but i'm like uh, wondering because i'm not i'm not sure how that, how that would work so so um
2: are you supplying <laughs> a
1: of the gas station so far
2: good question good question well, so first of all to, you know to manufacture this fuel um it's, it's rather expensive at this point of time, and it's it's also due to the political climate that, that we live in, right? Where, where electrification is promoted. So on one side, you get a a tax subsidy if you buy an electric vehicle, which, is we from a fossil power plant. By the way, as I already said, and on the other side, of, on the other side, of fossil fuel is burdened by excise tax. In so so the the playing field is not level. It's not technology agnostic, which 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 is very unfortunate because I believe policies should be made in a way that enable all technologies to thrive. And then, and then the markets should select one that, that works. Um, so that that being said, you know, the cost of the fuel and inherently the price is, is rather high in comparison to your standard uh, fossil fuel that you can buy at a fuel station. So we currently really work with um, mainly automotive OEMs. There are engineering teams, large championships where um, automotive OEMs compete. well, whether that is Toyota, Hyundai, or Ford, um, that actually believes in in the technology and, and need to um, test it. And um, yeah, there is there since these products are drop in, so they can be run in any internal combustion engine with any hardware modifications. Um, the plan is to to really get these fuels into uh into, into your car after you get a driver's license, if you get a driver's license, and if you buy an internal combustion engine, that is.
1: Stay with us we'll be right back
2: the coaching conversation 2024 this podcast is 100% dedicated to leadership and leadership within the workplace coaching area we work with companies throughout the world teaching leaders how to coach their employees this podcast is dedicated to teaching specific strategies frameworks coaching models and now artificial intelligent strategies to help leaders Drive greater teamwork, collaboration, cooperation; greater attitudes, better motivation, coaching, career development, just to name a few. I hope you'll check out our podcast. Very
1: nice. But that—that that means um, it's a plan, or it's already possible today, for probably- It's
2: possible technically. Technically, it's possible. Well, we need to pull the right right levers and you know enable economies of scale um to to decrease the cost um, but in theory you know if we pull all the right levers and if, if we really get the support from, from the politicians and, and from the car manufacturers um we we will achieve um we will achieve a price that is that is very reasonable and a few weeks ago um the president of toyota which is the largest uh car manufacturer in the world actually uh mr toyota um, actually, uh, had a press conference um, in Japan, stating that the future really will require us to to develop alternatives to electrification, especially for for countries like Japan um, that 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 have a very complex uh, energy grid and are basically an island. Um, so you know, we will the time will come, and it's I think going to be sooner than all of us uh, anticipate. Very
1: nice, very nice. Yeah, I guess um. This is very interesting to understand also that, um, the scope in this regard from the, from creating the sanitizer is to the fact as far as I understand, because, um, it's, it's also in the in the same way, somehow like, like fuel. So does the sanitizer also smell like fuel or how, how, how can we think of that?
2: Thankfully not, Matthias. Thankfully not. So. You know, and 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 then you're referring to normal fuel. You should actually experience how a fuel smells. It really it, it smells. It smells way worse. Um, I mean, for some people, I, I kind of enjoy the smell. But um, yeah, with the sanitizer, we we try to you know, as I said, we're, we're gamifying the experience. We want these employees to sanitize more because they want to, um, and because they want to remain healthy and, and keep their colleagues at work healthy. So we've actually gone through a process of, of developing um, various scents for the sanitizer and, and, you know had various uh, groups of, of, of consumers test scents. We had a uh, we had a uh, unit based in a co-working space in Berlin um, where we where we switched the scents uh, week to week to see uh, which which ones are which ones are the most um, like ones. So um, I believe that our sanitizer smells smells pretty good. Um, and and it's also one of these things that really you know enables these people to use it in a way that 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 makes sense.
0: Yeah, I think uh, sanitizing is definitely something uh, that's important also in the future. Um, how do you see the development of? Uh Um, the habit of sanitizing in the coming years I mean now with the pandemic there is a lot of media coverage and uh, people are picking up uh, and uh, do this but um, I always wonder if this is a lasting effect I mean it's it's positive to 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 wash the hands and sanitize the hands but I fear once the media coverage is going down people will forget about it how do you see it Martin
2: well, do you think that the remote work um, hype will also disappear? I mean do you think that the investments into digitalization of the supply chain to prevent uh, supply chain disruptions will disappear? I don't think so. I think you know the pandemic has shed light on many industries, uh, whatever they are and and uncovered you know things that we might have known before but not paid attention to. and i I really believe that you know this increased sanitization uh, trend is here to stay, um, and it will become you know it will become a uh, yeah a daily part of our lives. Uh, we see even throughout the pandemic um, with the dispensers we're operating in these uh, various um, customer sites, we see the the usage going up and up. And um, I don't think it's necessarily tied to to the COVID number cases. I think it's it's more tied to the understanding of these individuals that. You know, it's part of our lives now. If we want to prevent everything from, you know, a basic common cold, uh, outbreak in the workforce up to the next pandemic, sanitization is here to, yeah, to prevent us, to prevent that from happening and help us to remain healthy.
1: Thanks for this wrap up, um, uh, Martin. This is really interesting. I think, um, this is definitely a project also to look out uh, for. Can you, um, again, tell us details about the rates and, uh, or is this still?
2: Um, it's not confidential. Um, so, we, uh, yeah, Sani was incubated at P1. We've um, formally started the spin off process, which is more or less concluded, and we're raising a seed round um, for, for the newly established uh, company. Um, so, yeah, anyone's interested who's listening, then feel free to, to contact me. I'll send you our deck.
1: Nice, Martin. Thank you very much for, for joining here. I'm very excited about this project. Um, So wishing you all the best, and I hope that the, that the year will um, uh, turn out to be fruitful for you at the next one.
2: Thank you very much, Matthias. Thank you for having me again, and Merry Christmas to everybody. Merry Christmas.
1: bye, Thank you.
2: Ciao. Oh, bye-bye.
1: Yes, I guess we have one more speaker, Christian, but I guess like we have to also cover for a, a bit of time, because I'm not sure it's already late, and not sure if, uh, the waiting room, the digital waiting room is filled at the moment.
0: Um, we had an amazing day. I think, uh, it's a seven hours recording now. Uh, how is it going for you Astrid and Matthias?
1: Yes, it's great. It's a, it's a bit of a marathon. It's an end of the year marathon <laughs> rather than, uh, actually, um, an, an event. It, it doesn't even count as event anymore. It's like so long, but, um, it's super exciting. I had my ups and downs also in like, you know, like, um, a focus, uh, during the whole time until now. Um, it shows though also how eventful the year was because um, I guess in all this time crisis and, and, and COVID situation the interesting part is also to, to realize what has, has happened in the past. My so, complete like, perception of time has changed in this uh, constant crisis and then uh, you know like um, a time when you can move uh, around a lot. We have heard this also from another participant that um, um, of course this, this um, limit in traveling is also very, very challenging of course it is. So I guess, um, also from a, not only psychological perspective, but from various, um, aspects, um, it changes also your way of interacting with the people around you. We heard also from Martin, this even, um, just recently that, that this affects also, like, of course, the, the, the workspace situation, how people work together, how officers succeed, how, how this kind of new work, um, gets into being. So I guess, like, there's a um, lot, a lot of changes that will also stay after the, um, uh, pandemic. And also I'm feeling like, um, we are writing this topic, uh, again. It's, so it, it feels like even I got like some flashbacks into the past, uh, uh events of the year, like, like one year ago, and we, we are, we're already experiencing the beginning of something. And then it was like, okay, there's an, an end in sight. And so we see, um, that, um, the whole, uh, COVID pandemic, is um, longer than we, we expected it to be. So at the same time, I think some things are really, um, there to stay as we just discussed. Um, changes in digitization, they wouldn't so easily go back. I guess, like also, um, looking at the positive sides of, of the development, a uh, lot of more, um, lot more, um, uh, tele uh, communications are used and uh, a lot of more opportunities are there also for people to, to, to learn about new things, to um, discuss technology more, more broader. At the same time, we also have been talking a lot about risks and about the anxiety that the, the whole, uh, you have brought, um, such as all the different aspects in security, um, um, raising malware issues and so on. So I guess, um, looking at the topics, let's again, um, check what kind of topics you've touched already and maybe, um, just interrupt me after if you have some, some other, uh, insights.
3: No, I thought, I thought it was, you know, very interesting the whole day now. It's seven hours. Uh, of recording to, uh, really see, you know, how, uh, on the one hand, we had sort of like, you can say two blocks, like life science and crypto, but there were a lot of topics that actually ran through different sectors. And I'm sure that if we had had other sectors online as well, that we would have seen how, uh, all the, I don't know, the pandemic, the digitalization and all these kinds of themes and topics actually come through um uh, for all these verticals. So it's been really an interesting day so far and um, I think I'll... F- We still have sort of just scratched the surface on many things around 2021 uh, because uh, we didn't even sort of touch any kind of political events or anything. So it was really, really interesting. And um, but I'm looking forward to another great year coming around the corner now and see, you know, what what, uh, we'll get from it. Yeah, Me
0: too, me too. Astrid, what was the most memorable part of today's recording for you? (laughs)
3: oof <laughs> i said there were there were so many but i think uh what was also a burning theme around it was again sort of the educational elements that we have around you know that uh we really need to think about you know how we educate people more on health health literacy financial literacy uh mental health um how can we improve that entrepreneurship you know giving also young people or not even young people also anyone out there actually new opportunities because we can also see through covid you know a lot of people have become unemployed and interestingly they have actually then gone on to start new businesses so even in in the place where i live here we have so, uh, several new places uh having that uh, popped up during this time because f- people feel like they want to own more of uh, uh their own life and sort of uh uh, yeah st- stay in control so that was uh, actually so this theme was also something that uh, really resonated with me and it's also something that you can see with kids for uh, for example and the whole pandemic and how you actually inform them about very basic levels of um, health and immunity and what it means and sort of to sort of calm them down also uh, what is going out there to also th- Take away, you know, anxiety from, I don't know, getting vaccinated or whatever, and see it more as an opportunity not to become uh, sick, hopefully. <laughs> and uh, so, yeah.
0: Matthias, what was the most memorable part of today's recording for you?
1: I think um, what I liked a lot was that um, it was like evident that a lot of the topics we have been discussing in the preparations for this um, are really affecting people, are really affecting researchers, and there's a lot of um different insights um that I got from from people and how they are mastering the pandemic from their end. So um interestingly people have been talking about other um topics than than expected but still they resonated uh very well with the topic um, um that we looked at so again to recap a little bit so so I'm always like bringing in a little bit the security aspects and the uh, and, and these elements of course so I tried to already contextualize it with that we have been also talking about a lot of seeing a lot of different Web 2 aspects or, or results of Web 2 technologies. And we have been discussing a lot of like, um, alternatives, um, to all this kind of surveillance dystopia, but also different other parts that are partially, uh, tackled by blockchain technologies and decentralized systems, which are subsumed under the term Web 3. We've been talking a lot about, um, the future of research because we have been also speaking with a lot of different researchers and people that, that, um, Work in research for a living or that, um, at least in research administration and so on. So that was super, super, super interesting and super relevant for me. Um, also to understand like how research is changing. And, um, so what was interesting in this regard is to understand, um, and I like that, um, you asked this question, Christian, about the biotech bubble, because I was, um, reading this a lot, um, in the, my preparations and I was wondering because there's often Often a lot of these, um, developments are not seen natural, but they are also rather seen as, as, as bubbles. And then it's like a question. Okay. Is this just because it's successful? It's a bubble now instantly. So we have seen that, um, of course, also in blockchain, where this is often, uh, thematized. But, um, I, um, think what was evident now with the, with the project we talked to and with the opportunities that have been, uh, presented that uh, this might not be only a bubble, but this might be a serious trend. And this is, of course, also, uh, in my opinion, due to the fact that there's a lot of um, attention now on the healthcare sector and on the biotech sector. Um, so I guess this is, um, therefore relevant to understand also that, the, um, 2021, uh, Horizon Europe program, um, has a focus on that. It was also interesting to, to learn today. So we have been talking also a lot about resource scarcity in times of crisis, about supply chain shortage, talent shortage and great resignation and so on, all these terms. I think we haven't really spoken about the great resignation uh
0: resignation. Uh, maybe the maybe you have a time now. Matthias, maybe you have a time now to talk about this topic with your friends, Dennis. Uh yeah,
4: sure. Hi, everyone. Sorry, I was a bit late. Back-to-back meetings nowadays, I think. Hello. Really? Um, no problem.
1: <laughs> so it's great to to have you. Um your last, our last guest for today, but um nevertheless, I think like you're um and a very um, um a good example and, and a very interesting character. And I guess like not everyone knows you yet. So I would love to to hear how your year was, but also um to introduce a little bit um um the many, many um things you started in your life and in your career. So um I know you since quite some while I think we met first in nineteen ninety-nine or something like that, or two thousand. I remember uh, meeting you at uh back then. And yep. so many things happened. So maybe not only in this past 20 years, but also in the, in the past year for you. Uh, maybe some people know you because um, you are very active in the, in the field of Bitcoin, but maybe other people know you also um, because you are a very active um, open source advocate uh, also with design.org. Maybe um, tell us your highlights, but also tell us a little bit about you and your
2: activities.
4: Thanks, Matthias. Thanks uh, for all the interest. Yeah, if if we go back 20 years ago, I have to start really from the beginning. Well, uh, we we share uh, uh, quite some some stories from Austria, where I think you come from also. So I ended up uh, migrating when I was 23 or 24, very early from south of Italy, then Tuscany, and then I migrated to Austria where I lived. For, for four years and worked at the Arts Electronica Correct. It was a very interesting bunch of uh, very brilliant people. I think at that time, it was pretty much the, the equivalent of a small MIT in Europe, the Future Lab. And um, yeah, it was a bit smaller than it is now. Uh, it's, uh, it's, it's the time in which I started uh, seeing that technology can be used to make art. To make uh, to, to address social issues, to make politics, what later becomes uh, the technopolitics uh, uh, track in, in, uh, in Vienna can be used to make money <laughs> later we saw <laughs> very clearly. And uh, I like to bring into the picture always the fact that open source, uh, free and open source software can be a methodology of community development, that uh, leads to great success also in terms of business. And uh, on the other side, it can grow a community beyond the very company, the very organization that uh, maintains the software of passionate people, of people that can be past or future co-workers and of people that value the research and development that is done around the software. So this is about a methodology that I applied all my life uh, for projects that uh, span from the public and private sector. Uh, now I work since six or more years, it's about eight, probably since 2012. So nine, oh my God, for the European Commission for research and, uh, and also like uh, innovation actions. So with cities around Europe. And uh, well, the first thing that I would like to say, uh, besides, uh, you know, advertising or shopping around projects here and there, is that uh, uh, open source uh, as a way of uh, developing business, it works. And we knew it uh, before Bitcoin came uh, to life. And we see it now with the whole blockchain ecosystem, for instance, that uh, uh, the blockchain is not as such if it's not open source. I mean, it's, it's obvious for us in the space. It's not that obvious for every new partner, industrial partner and business venture that comes in. I would say don't fight it (laughs) and and look into the big opportunity that it holds. I'm not uh, making it up. Uh, The milestone in the last three years, the the milestone acquisition of Red Hat by IBM for uh, uh, up to, I don't know how many billion dollars, I think thirty two. yeah, and same amount. It's a milestone acquisition. It was an acquisition of a company based on free and open source software. So this is uh, we we are not anymore playing as the 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 kids in the game. I think uh, those that will not realize it will play as a little bit like a passé old generation in in the future game of what means also to make a venture and and uh, capital flourish. So, yeah, the, the projects I've focused on in the last years uh, are uh, components, software components. So uh, you, you know me since I, I worked also as an artist and and I, and I with artists to do projections, video projections, uh, uh, channel synchronization and stuff like that. Uh, I moved back in, in uh, uh, 15 years ago, I moved in Amsterdam where I live now and I ended up working with people like Marina Abramovich or Erwin Olaf for their installation. It was very, very uh, inspiring. But you know that the cultural sector doesn't pay really much. So I switched from DSP to crypto, and I work as an applied cryptographer now since more than 10 years. And, uh, well, one thing that strikes me is how powerful is uh, this whole environment and technology and how... Hard is for new people to enter it. Uh, Even like the the scripting languages like Solidity for Ethereum, which tried to to democratize the access to to this technology, um, is too hard for people. So in the past five or more years, I worked uh, uh, in the the framework of a research uh, project for the European Commission, which became a flagship project, Decode. Uh, I work on a virtual machine capable of crypto operations that can be programmed in human-like language. We called it Zen Room. You will find it on zenroom.org. And this is a component, it's not a product, so we help people build their own component in a way that involves non-programmers, people with domain knowledge about a particular business logic, uh, making them capable of programming the business logic in the code without being programmers. Because uh, in the process of developing products, we realize a huge overhead is there in the communication between uh, technicians and people that really know what the technicians should be doing. <laughs> it's like there is there's a hell of a lot of communication. And if something goes wrong, then the product really is wrong. It doesn't respond to, to what it was intended. So uh, this is an interdisciplinarity exercise. People with domain knowledge, even if they are not technical, they are vital to the project. And we want to leverage their knowledge and we want them to be able to interact in parallel with the programmers. It's a little bit like CSS style sheets uh, became for the web. You know, a designer can work on a style sheet without getting interfering with the work of an HTML or or PHP or, or Python or whatever programmer of the logics of the website. So we wanted to do this for crypto and we realized it. And now we are applying it to a whole lot of uh, projects and contexts. Uh, DECODE was applied to two cities in Barcelona and Amsterdam, the cities of the future in Europe, uh, in various pilots. And today we are working with six cities around Europe with the reflow project, an even bigger project coordinated by the Com- Copenhagen Business School uh, to realize what uh, is popularly known as uh, uh, circular economies. So we are developing knowledge systems that can handle a high complexity of logistics in a free and open source way, interfacing them with the main frameworks of uh, European Commission software for smart cities. And uh, we try to make sense uh, of them with a vocabulary, ordering notions of used textiles, where should they go? We have a pilot about uh, medical gowns being washed uh, we're talking about millions of them produced by hospitals and uh, where they go, what is their usage, what is their lifetime, lifetime of components into industrial products. And we're trying to make sense of this complexity with a new approach, a resource event agent approach, uh, which is a new generation for, for logistical software. So this is one, one of the fields in which we apply this crypto stuff to, to sign uh, uh, material passports, digital product passports, and sign digital twins, for instance, uh, in a way that uh, they can be also authenticated and we can trust this sort of information. And um, yeah, it's it's being uh, quite on the spot. So (laughs) you can bet we are very busy. Uh, As a foundation, we work uh, for the European Commission, but now we are opening also a company, aptly named, you may know why, Forkbomb Company. (laughs) So (laughs) you'll find it on forkbomb.eu. And uh, yeah, we're we're forking a lot of uh, efforts and and uh, and uh, and products and components right now. So the last thing we did also was um, we're also active in the, in the in the field of politics. So the, the currently in Italy there is a platform that the, the Democratic Party, which is at the government, is using for involving activists and taking democratic decisions. The secretary, the new secretary uh, Ricoletta, made it a big. Uh, fuzz because it's their way to involve people so it's on tv every time talking like go there and put your stuff in there well we are running that platform at dine it's called agora agora democratica and you can imagine it has been a huge uh, challenge because running a a service that is uh, that is named on on national tv prime time uh, by politicians it means like seeing those those uh, monitors going like whoop, 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 like you know, 10,000 taxes in, two minutes, in, in one second, two seconds. It's like, uh, uh, yeah, we have to hold uh, quite some infrastructure. So we are learning around that, learning, learning about availability and scaling. And it's uh, this is just like this year that started, and it's been an engaging uh, adventure. This we did also with the Decidim Collective in Barcelona that started a world party that uh, that still rules some cities in in Spain, applying this this approach of participatory or direct democracy, uh, using digital tools. So there is a lot to do, Matthias. It's like very interesting, and as you as you hear, we are start we are trying to stay away from the financial sector or the cybersecurity sector because that's very crowded, sometimes too boring, uh, too much uh, too, too full of muscles, and we we, we like to see. How to apply new technologies to a social uh, innovative uh, space day by day.
1: Very nice. Can you explain a little bit to the listeners also about Dime uh, um, organization? Because I guess like um, it's maybe not uh, so common to the listeners, and I think it's you guys are doing an amazing job. I don't know if it's like something you want to push at the moment, but mm-hmm. I, I guess it's like relevant and therefore like people
4: should. Yeah, dine Dime is uh, more of a hacker community. I would say. I mean, it started from, uh, many of us uh, used BBS back in uh, the early 90s. Uh, the older members uh, of our community are uh, from ham radio amateurs. It existed as a community until 2005, uh, purely uh, amateur. Like, a, a, you can call it like somewhere where people go after their work to, to talk to like-minded people if they have some question about how to do something. If they like to share some knowledge, if they like to know each other, all online. Of course, we we are completely natively uh, digital uh, IRC based uh, internet relay chat way before Slack existed. So it's very natural for us to work uh, remotely. And uh, 2005 was the year that the Netherlands uh, Media Art Institute I worked for at that time helped me to ground it as a new foundation in Amsterdam. And 2012 was the year in which we started working for for projects that pay. So it always existed as a community. And now it exists as a a valuable network uh, of highly skilled people. Um, Most people are in in, uh, important positions also in companies, uh, uh, multinational corporations, the very people that run our search engines or social networks. And we stay in touch uh, for friendship and, and the good vibes. And sometimes people like to to leave their job and and, uh, get involved into a new venture, and we have plenty of projects to to get in. We are uh, not so um, aggressive in attracting people into our projects, Uh, and we we try to make it a very pleasant environment for people to hang around and talk about uh, digital stuff, uh, software, hardware. We have some uh, restoration projects, so some members of our network are in charge uh, of running uh, two museums of uh, ancient computers and uh, archaeology in uh, italy these are in uh, uh, palazzola crede uh, between uh, siracusa and cosenza in sicily and one uh, sorry siracusa and, and uh, catania and one is in uh, cosenza and by the way you can buy the calendar which we do every year there is a calendar of the museum. I like to share you the. So, if you want to support them, it's a it's a great way to to buy the calendar of the museum. And uh, members of the museum are running, for instance, the restoration of the Zuse, which is uh, the most ancient computer in Europe. It's uh, it's stored at the ZKM uh, at in Karlsruhe. And it's a valve-operated computer. was born uh, in the late 20s and used in the 30s for agricultural planning in Germany. And uh, the engineers that developed it are are about to to, to get uh, over 90. So we have been running uh, interviews, uh, trying to collect uh, documents, uh, uh, help to, to translate them from Germany uh to 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 italy to experts activated a network of experts involving people passionate people from poland uh all over germany and italy and uh, and we are running this restoration project since uh, 3 years so you can imagine like how how uh involving is such an activity even like for a programmer coming from any background when you start seeing these things like uh, that, that's how we let's say we are heartbreakers for the nerds. And sometimes I describe Dynorg as the revenge of the
2: nerds, digital chapter.
1: It sounds so <laughs> fantastic because I think like you're you're um, also describing so many different projects. But has there been has there been some highlights for you um, in the past year that you wanna you wanna highlight something super exciting or something that is driving you towards the next year, towards 2022, that you're super excited for?
4: Yeah. Uh, yeah, here is the link of the calendar. Uh, I, I sent you a direct message that I can send it to hosts and finalists. Let's see. I think this is a calendar that uh, every nerd wants to have in the lab. <laughs> it's, it has photos of ancient computers, so it's real porn for us. And uh, yeah, it's... Uh, I think for the next year, I mean, we had two big news. One of them is that, uh, and and this is very recent, Um, one of them is that, uh, so Europe has the EPSI initiative for blockchain services, and it has been started as an initiative to serve 24 member states, so far adhering, in notarization activities uh, digitally using a blockchain. And they did a pre-commercial procurement. So this is not like a, a simple procurement. It's like a three-year process procurement in which companies are selected to run such a vital and important infrastructure with, you can imagine how much liabilities clauses are attached. And we form a, a consortium together with uh, uh, Dynorg as, as a coordinator and uh, Riddle & Code as a company from Vienna that you know well, Thomas uh, Furstner, uh, technologies that I have very old uh, in very high esteem and knows our our work. And uh, InfoCert, a company in Italy that has uh, full uh, ADAS uh, competency on on the, the crypto validation that Europe uh, requires for, for uh, uh, identity and authorizations. We formed this consortium, we raised for the pre-commercial procurement, and we won <laughs> the, the first phase. And two days ago, they told us we won the second phase. So now we are in the uh, small four. Congratulations.
1: Yeah. Congratulations. Wow.
4: yeah, it is a big deal. And it's not only about uh, money and responsibility and growth for all of us, but it's uh, really like the dream that uh, an European-made blockchain, uh, fully European-made technology can run uh, uh, on, uh, on the infrastructure. And it's completely open source. It's open to a global community worldwide to be forked, to be used, reused, and adapted. We're using BigchainDB at the core of uh, the infrastructure, which is uh, technology you know has been used around and uh, we we want to merge it with Xerum. We want a blockchain that is programmed in human-like language. So for non-techies, we are techies against technocracy. It's like... (laughs) So that's, that's my activist stands here uh, besides the Revenge of the Nerd. And um, yeah, that that is one big news. The second big news, <laughs> which we got today, because today was signed uh, the, the contract with uh, the Forderung Bank in, in Hamburg, is that we are going to work with Fab City Hamburg in Germany for uh, leveraging their logistical uh, system of tracking materials all across Fab Cities in Hamburg, which is a city that hosts an incredibly dynamic uh, uh, scenario for Fab Cities, Fab Labs, Fabrication Labs, grassroots open source uh, stuff that is starting to produce uh, designed objects and design objects. And uh, we want to create a, a circular and virtual and, and, uh, and virtuous economy that can actually leverage um, the designers that are doing these this, uh, things locally and selling them also on big platforms all across Germany and Europe. And to do that, we need to trace the the forks of designs. Like you design a chair based on the the 3D design of someone else and you want to fork how this design has been reused. And we want to split the wealth all across the designers involved. So to create a really open playing field for the sort of community that is behind the the Fab Labs. It may sound utopian, but it's uh, it's uh, very concrete and there is uh, um already a, a, a publication uh, describing this in uh, in German. I will post it uh, on the chat here and uh, yeah we are we are, we have started already the work actually we are so excited that besides the formalities we started to work on this in uh, in august already last year uh, this year this ending year and uh, we are Getting out with uh, a couple of uh, new free software uh, products that we are announcing next year, and uh, uh, you'll see.
1: <laughs> this is so fantastic, Dennis! Unfortunately, we are at the end of the of the show, so uh, my co-hosts are already pressing me to to uh, um, actually wrap up. So I guess oh, that,
4: um, that was enough, I guess, to take for the audience. Really fantastic <laughs> news
1: I have to still um, a little bit process it, but also I, I think. Um, you are a perfect, uh, last, uh, guest for, for this, because there has been some, some great, um, announcements also that are, that are, um, for sure, um, something that people will see in the col- following years also, so that they are super relevant, I guess. So very interesting, um, end of the year info here. We had, um, a very, very long day where we have been speaking with different researchers, different people of all sorts of, um, um, uh, places and, um, mostly researchers actually, um, but people um, I guess that, are uh, um, all very uh, positive towards the future. So we have been speaking with a lot of entrepreneurs, the different, um, um, people from different backgrounds. This was really an exciting, but also very long and, uh, marathon-like, uh, event for me. Christian, th- thank you so much for, for, for hosting us, uh, and for having us here. Astrid, um, thanks also for, for hosting this. Do you have some final words, Christian, uh, and Astrid, that you want to, that you want to say?
0: Thank you very much, Matthias and Astrid, for being part of uh, this recording marathon. It was a great experience and uh, I'm looking forward to our next year in review in uh, 2022.
3: Thanks a lot for having us, Christian. It was really a great pleasure. We made it up to eight hours now. So <laughs> it was <laughs> quite a marathon, as Matthias described, but really exciting guests. And also, you know, uh, also last but not least, guests it was really exciting to hear, you know, what's happening on that front. So thanks all- very much, everyone.
0: As it, Matthias, I wish you both your teams and your families, um, a very happy and merry Christmas and a great start into 2022 and huge successes in the future.
3: Likewise, Christian, much. I hope also that you know that uh, the podcast continues to develop well and as you expected. So, thanks again and Merry Christmas and Happy New Year to all uh, also all our all listeners here. Yeah.
0: Thank you very much.
1: <laughs> thanks and with um, all the best wishes to you as well. I guess we have wished um, Merry Christmas a lot. Today. <laughs> yeah. It's not, not so common for me because I'm usually not celebrating that so much, but it's, um, I'm, I'm feeling very festive. So, so thanks again, Christian and Have
0: a great weekend, you too, and we see each other soon. Bye-bye. Bye-bye.
3: Thanks. Bye-bye.
0: Thanks for listening. Please, please share the podcast and make sure you've subscribed. Have a great day. <laughs>